Hi, and welcome to this week's From the Vault episode from the Magdalene House podcast. The Magdalene House is a recovery community for alcoholic women, known affectionately by many as Maggie's. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas. In our From the Vault episodes, we share past podcast releases from our four podcast series, Recover Ed, Studying the Steps, Recovered Interviews with Alcoholic Women, and hope for the family. Our podcast aimed to connect, inspire, and educate alcoholic women, loved ones, and the community to the Magdalene House and the services we offer. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. So this morning we have uh, Carrie H. on. Uh, if you have not met her from overnighting, maybe you met her in Next Step. And so I'm so excited for you guys to be able to hear what she has to offer. I know she has a great story and a lot of solution. Uh, So Carrie, if you could just start with some background information about yourself, let us know who you are, uh, get to know you a little bit and what led you to getting sober. Good morning, ladies. I'm Carrie and I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is September 4th, 2019. So I went through Maggie's three times in 2019, and that was not my first attempt at sobriety. I didn't start drinking like alcoholically until I was about 35, but I uh, quickly went downhill after that and went to a lot of treatment, a lot of detoxes. And finally in September of 2019 is when I really just couldn't take it anymore. I knew that if I didn't do something, I was going to die. And frankly, I was okay with that. I was dead inside anyway. So in September of 2019, I went to Maggie's for the third time. And that is where I finally got my step one and realized that I'm never going to be able to drink like a normal person ever again. Thank you. Well, do you mind? I know that, um, you know, one of the things that um, I learned about you is that you lost your mother really young. Um, and you often use that as your excuse. Did you not? Right. Uh, yes. can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I uh, lost my mother in a car accident when I was two and my dad was a raging alcoholic. So I, my grandmother raised me. And even though I had a great childhood with my grandmother, I always felt like I was missing out on something like, it's not fair. It's not fair. Life's not fair. And God took my good parent, left me with alcoholic parent and self-pity was like running rampant through my life way before the drinking ever started. And then of course, once I started drinking really heavily, that was my excuse was poor me. It's, you know, life has not been fair to me. I was given a bad hand. And in reality, I had a great life, a great childhood. I was very well taken care of, but I used that as an excuse for many years. And I was really angry at God for many years too. I could not understand how he could take a parent from a baby, like especially their mother and leave them with the parent that was drinking all the time. Mm. So you now live with your dad, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm getting ready to move out. So obviously there, that relationship has been restored and you're no longer angry. Can you tell us about the healing process and everything with all of that? Yes. So my dad got sober about 17 years ago. I actually put together the intervention 
and took him to treatment and found a treatment center for him. This was before I started drinking alcoholically. And then 10 years after that, I wound up at the same treatment center. So kind of funny, but you know, everything it's kind of funny because everything that I blamed my dad for, like everything that I was angry with my dad about were the exact same things I had done to my daughter in my drinking. And so when I did my fist up, I um, was really able to see my mistakes in that and how I had shown up the same way. The things that I was still holding on to, even after I'd done all these things to my daughter, were the exact same things that I had done. And to realize that he was also sick when all those things were happening, the things that he did, he would never do sober. My dad is an amazing man that has let me live here for the last two years that has been nothing but supportive. But just like me, when he was drinking, he was sick and he did things that he would not have normally done, um, like not being around and, you know, driving us around drunk and, you know, just being the typical parent that I was when I was drinking. We have an amazing relationship now. He uh, he trusts me now. He doesn't look at me crazy every time I walk in the door to try to look at my eyes to see if I've been drinking or try to like give me a hug to smell my breath. He uh, actually trusts me. And like you said, Stephanie, I am moving out on July 1st. So I'm very grateful for these last two years that I've had with him because it has given me a new relationship with him that I didn't have growing up. Like we didn't have a real relationship growing up and now we have a really great relationship. That's so awesome. Did you end up making amends to him? Several times. Um, so the first time was really well. I went really well. You know, he was very understanding and he gets it because he had the same life. The third time I got out of Maggie's, I came home and, you know, went through the steps. And when it was time to make my amends, I went to him and I said, dad, would you be willing to hear an amends from me? And he said, no. He said, I don't want to hear any more amends from you. I am, your words mean nothing at this point. So I just want to see you do the action. I want to see you do what you're supposed to do. And I just need some proof. I don't, I don't want to hear any more words. So I went to my sponsor and I was like, my dad does not want to hear from me. He doesn't want to hear words from me. He wants to see it. And she said, well, that's, that's your amends. And you need to show him that you're going to do this and show the action. And um, all you have to do is be willing. And I went to him with a willing heart and he was not, he did not want to hear it. I did leave it open that if, you know, if you ever want to hear my amends, I'm here, but he's never, he's never asked. And he's very proud of me. He tells me a lot that he's very proud of me. So. Oh, good. What would you tell someone whose family doesn't want to hear from them or doesn't want to hear an amends from them? Um, I actually had two family members and my sister felt the same way about six months into sobriety. She finally decided she was ready to hear from me. Um, I would say, you know, all you have to do is be willing, go to them with a willing heart and ask them if they would hear an amends from you. And if they aren't ready or don't want to, then you just need to put in the action and show them, you know, your actions mean so much more than your words. At this point, we have lied and manipulated our way through their lives for so long that our words really don't mean anything. So if they're not willing at this point, just keep doing the right thing. And if they're not even talking to you to see that you're, you know, that you're doing the right thing, pray, keep doing the right thing. And God finds a way in the end. He will, he will show you ways that you can do things to make things right. Awesome. Now you're talking about God and earlier you mentioned how you had a lot of uh, anger with God. Did that appear with, you know, like coming to the rooms and the 12 steps and everything. How can you talk about that? 
It didn't um, interfere with it. It was, um, I still believed in God and by working the steps and especially doing my fifth, fifth step, I know that God has a plan in my life and in all of our lives that I'm not ever going to understand. And, you know, that included the death of my mother. And although I don't understand and will never understand, I have faith that that was for a better plan than I can imagine. And my my sisters are a lot younger than me and they're half sisters. We have different mothers. And when my, one of my sisters is 13 years younger than me, when she was about eight, she said, you know, sissy, I'm really sorry that your mom passed away, but if she were still here, Holly and I might not be here. And that, you know, has always resonated with me. Like, I don't know what God's plan is, but I know that things would look a lot different and I'm pretty happy with the way things are today. So by working the steps and having faith in God and God's plan and giving my life over to God, it's allowed me and helped me accept the way things are with things that have happened in the past. Now, how have you like dealt with your mother being gone, you know, growing up and today? And you know, I'm asking you for self-seeking reasons because I have a two-year-old who doesn't have have a father but how like how did you how did you deal with that growing up and um and how is it today growing up it was it was kind of hard because you know even though I had my grandmother I you know at school you would do like mother's day gifts and you know do things for your mother and I was always like oh I don't have a mother as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate what I do have and the people that I do have in my life. And now I find ways to honor her in, in my life. Like a couple of weeks ago was the um, anniversary of her death. And um, I was talking to my sponsor about it. And she's like, well, how can you honor your mother today? And she said, why don't you take your daughter to dinner? And I was like, I know what I can do. I can go buy those little mini bunt cakes from nothing but cakes and take them to Maggie's in honor of my mother. So I did with a little card that said, these are in honor of my mother and just, you know, try to honor her in ways like that and talk to my family about her. Like I try to learn as much as I can about her through my family and different things that belong to her. Like all of her possessions are mine now. So I have different things that belong to her that I'll, I'll look at occasionally and try to get a sense of who she was. Oh, that's so beautiful. So your younger sisters, you are significantly uh, older than them. Did you play a part in helping raise them? I did. So I was 14 when one was born and 17 when the other one was born. And um, their mother got addicted to pain pills from a car accident. And she took off when they were two and six. So it was just my dad who was drinking very heavily at the time. And I was in college. And so I helped my dad raise them. And we are very, very close today. And I will say, that is part of the reason why when things were going really bad and I was not doing well, that they were so hurt and so upset because I was like, you know, their second mom and here I am doing to them or doing to my daughter what their mother did to them. So it w- that was very hard. And that was one of the reasons why my baby sister did not want to hear an amends from me for a while. Do you mind uh, talking about the relationship with your sisters today and how that was repaired? I have a better relationship with my sisters today than I did even before I was an alcoholic. They actually went with me to Waxahachie a few weeks ago to hear my story. And that was the first time they'd heard my story. And they both cried and told me how proud they were of me and how happy they were. And one of my sisters called me a few weeks ago and she said, I just want you to know, and she's crying. She's like, I just want you to know how proud I am of you and how much I love you and how much you mean to me. And she said, you 
are happier now than you ever were before you even started drinking. Before all of this happened, you're so much happier now. You're like a different person. You have this glow and this energy and she called me her, her hero. And I can't tell you, like we had a rough couple of years where they didn't speak to me. And so for her to call me her hero through all of this is pretty amazing. And they're proud of, you know, the work that I put into this and, you know, that I volunteer at Maggie's and I have sponsees and that I really worked my program. So our relationship, my relationship with both of them is amazing today. So good. So this is not your first go around. You've worked the steps before, right? Yes. So do you mind talking about the previous times and what yes. that's like? So I would work the steps and I think I would always, especially in my fourth and fifth step, I wasn't, you know, it was half measures. I wasn't as thorough and honest as I could be. And, um, you know, my sponsor told me anything that you're not willing to talk about, you are going to drink over. And for me, that was definitely a truth because there were things that I just wasn't ready to let go of or to share with another human being. And I, you know, eventually each time got drunk and the biggest, the biggest, biggest thing for me is I would work the steps and the promises would start coming true. And I would start, you know, being happy and start feeling, um, you know, that mental obsession was relieved and I reacted sanely around alcohol. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm good now. Thank you so much. That worked. Let's move on now. Let's move on with life. I don't have to do this forever. And so I would slowly, it wasn't like, you know, a sudden, like, I'm just going to stop everything. I would slowly stop calling my sponsor, you know, or call her less and less and do prayer and meditation less and less, stop going to as many meetings, stop carrying the message just gradually until eventually, and it didn't take very long each time that that mental obsession starts creeping back in and I could fight it for a little bit, like, but eventually once my spiritual connection was not there anymore. I didn't have a defense. And it was, there was no fighting that mental obsession that thought would start coming back in that this time I can have just one drink and it's going to be okay. And I don't even have to tell my sponsor tomorrow I'll wake up and just go on with my life. Like nothing happened. And of course, as soon as I would drink, I wouldn't stop. So definitely learned that half measures availed me nothing. And I have to live in this program every single day. And I will tell you, you know, the, the second time I got out of Maggie's, which there wasn't a lot of time in between my second and third time or my first and third time either. But I remember doing these, this work and thinking, oh, I have to do this for the rest of my life. This is horrible. And now I think I get to do this for the rest of my life. I have such a fulfilled, like wonderful, you know, I have all these friends and a group of people that I can count on and like I'm fulfilled. I have a purpose and I get to do this for the rest of my life. I remember at Maggie's hearing women say, you know, I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic. And I thought that's ridiculous. Nobody would be grateful for this, but I truly am grateful that I'm an alcoholic. And then I get to do this for the rest of my life and hang out with all of you beautiful women and, you know, learn so much about myself. And it's really changed me as a person. Absolutely. Yes. What does half measures on your fourth and fifth step look like? So I would um, leave out little things like that. I thought, well, that really didn't have anything to do with my drinking. So she doesn't really know about that. 
we're just not as thorough. I would tell part of the story, but not all the story. Um, because I, you know, like I said, self-pity was my thing. It was definitely my jam. I loved my self-pity. And so I needed her to feel sorry for me. So I couldn't tell you everything that I did. I needed you to think that other person was a horrible person. And all that did was keep me sick. Uh, I didn't realize that at the time I thought I'm just protecting myself, but really I was really hurting myself because I wasn't letting go of everything and getting everything out that needed to be relieved. Yes. Well, whenever you said self-pity, it made me think of we're creating an assignment for next step. So be on the lookout, ladies. And it uh, has to do with like spiritual fitness and character defects and all of that. And one of the ones that we have listed on there is uh, self-pity. And I know um, before you graduated, you um, did some more stuff around six and seven. Do you mind talking about character defects in steps six and seven? Yes. So in the third phase of next step, I read Drop the Rock. And, you know, I feel like for me, six and seven were kind of those like, I won't say overlook steps, but quickly work steps. Like they're short and sweet and let's just get to the point and get it done. And okay, God, take this stuff. And, you know, they creep up back up in our lives every day. It's not, you know, it's progress, not perfection. It's something I have to continually work on. For me, what that has looked like recently is a lot of work with my sponsor around certain defects that keep cropping up and discussing those with her and looking at what is the opposite uh, of that defect. What is the, you know, um, spiritual principle that is the opposite of that defect and working on that. And I've started um, pulling like kind of like the popsicle sticks we do at Maggie's putting that character defects in a jar with on the popsicle sticks and pulling those and working on each day. Like if self-pity comes up, then I work really hard to watch for self-pity and see how I can turn that around into being grateful and humble um, instead of feeling sorry for myself. Oh, sounds wonderful. Sounds kind of like what our assignment's going to be. <laughs> so my next question, I guess I'm going to stay on that for a minute. Um, what are some character defects that show up for you today? So um, I'm still selfish, you know, in some aspects of my life. I, it's a lot better than it used to be, but I still have to work on being selfish. And, um, but my biggest one, I feel like comes up a lot when I'm tensed up is uh, my ego. Um, you know, like things will happen and um, I'll be like, well, you know, I was trying to be kind, but she did this or said this. And it comes up a lot with my daughter, but she's like, Carrie, that's your ego. Like you are so worried about your ego. And that one comes up a lot. Um, and still trying to play God. I still have to be really careful with getting out of my own way and getting out of God's way and letting God run the show because there are times where I'm like, but no, what I really want to happen is this. I really want it to look like this. And she's like, okay, well, who are you? Like, are, are you Carrie or are you God? And I'm like, oh, so the great thing is, is sometimes even before I call her now, I know exactly what she's going to say. Like, okay, that's your ego or, or that's your pride or you're being selfish, which are things that I couldn't recognize before. Like when, before I got into AA and this program, I really thought I wasn't selfish. I was so sure that I was the most selfless person you could ever meet that would give you anything. And really honestly didn't think I was selfish. So now being able to see these things before I even discuss them and know, okay, I'm being selfish. Like I'll call her and be like, I need to 10 step. I'm selfish. Here's what I did. 
And, you know, she usually gives me a little more of the, the picture than, than I can see, but it's, it's pretty nice being able to see these things crop up when they crop up and not being completely oblivious to who I am. Yes, definitely a gift of the program too. And I can relate to the self-pity and victim. And one of my favorite things to talk about is justified resentment. And um, if for those listeners who can't see me, I'm doing air quotes around justified uh, because surprise, there is no justified resentment. But I came here with what I thought was like justified anger. And so I love hearing other women talk about stories where like, the world, like the material world, you know, would say, yeah, girl, you have a right to be angry and like feed that resentment. But in AA, we say like, no, like that, that can't happen. So would you mind talking about one of your quote unquote justified resentments and how you, your sponsor and God worked through that? So I'm pretty sure I know exactly which one that you're thinking of. So Yeah. uh, When I was married, my um, now ex-husband cheated on me while I was pregnant. And um, I was pretty sure that there was nothing you could tell me to make me think that I did anything in that situation. I had no mistakes. He just is a cheater and you can't change that. And nobody deserves that. So that one was a really hard one for me. And I remember getting to the fourth column. I was like, I didn't make a mistake. Yeah, I didn't deserve this. So working through it and seeing my mistake in the situation, well, I still believe that there's no justified reason to cheat on anyone. There are plenty of mistakes I made in that marriage with him and the way I showed up as a wife. And then even after the fact, holding on to that resentment was a mistake because he's an amazing father. He's a great man. He's been like, <laughs> he's been so good to me throughout the years through my drinking, trying to help me get help, taking care of our daughter, not taking her away from me um, and, and showing up for her every single day that now it's kind of like we were talking about a minute ago with the character defects is flipping it around. Instead of that resentment, I'm grateful for who he is as a person and holding on to that resentment for so long. I mean, it was years we've been divorced for 10 years so holding on to that resentment for that long is really poisonous to myself. And he doesn't know that I'm resentful. He doesn't care. I mean, even if he did know, he wouldn't care. It's not affecting him. I'm just like killing me on the inside and drinking over it. Like, how dare he, you know, do that to me. But now being able to let go of that and seeing that I did play a part in the failure of our marriage. It was not, it takes two. It was not just him cheating on me. There were plenty of other things wrong in that marriage that I had my hands all over. Mm. Did you make amends to him? I did more than once, like everybody else. And the first couple, he was very um, kind. And I, you know, I just want you to be well, and we just love you and want you, you know, be here for Kaylin and da, 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 da. And then there was a third one and that one was probably my roughest amends. And I will tell you, I um, went into it thinking it's going to be just like the first two where he's very like, oh, he's gracious. Like, oh, good for you. You're getting sober again. Yay. No, no. This time he let me have it when it came to our daughter and what I was putting her through and how much I was hurting her. And, you know, all of these, like this hope that I would give her every time that things were going to be better. And then I would just crash it down again. And it was very, very difficult to hear 
because it was true. And it wasn't, I wasn't angry. I knew everything he said was true and it was out of love, but it hurt. And I remember walking out of there and just bawling, but at the same time feeling so relieved that like, okay, this is the truth. We've both acknowledged the truth. And I, you know, what I do from here will determine how he feels about this later on. But I, I have, I had hope that I could turn that around and show him that this time really was going to be different. And I was going to put forth the work and the effort to make it different. Yeah, I can totally relate. Uh, not that Cadence's dad did that, but like really coming to terms with the harm that I caused my daughter. Uh, because as moms, we want to think, you know, that like we're great moms and we love our kids and because we do love our kids, you know, but like we're still causing a lot of harm. And so I can definitely relate to that and how hard it was to recognize, but then also kind of how freeing it is because like you really have to face and be rid of these things and you can't face something and be rid of it if you don't know the truth, you know, you don't know what to bring to God. And I have to find something very objectionable before I bring it to God. So I need to really have the truth about myself shown to me. Looking for a way to give back and get involved with the Magdalene House? No work is too small, and our dedicated volunteers serve as a valuable resource to our organization. We couldn't help alcoholic women and their families without the priceless services they provide. We provide opportunities for all, as well as opportunities strictly for women in recovery. To get started, please visit our website at magdalenehouse.org volunteers and click on new volunteer sign up. Now you have a great relationship with your daughter today. Do you mind giving us a little about like what it was like, what happened and what it's like today with your daughter? Yes. So I, you know, when I, my drinking was really, really bad in 2018 and I did not see her for a good five or six months because I, she went to her dad's and I knew I could not draw a sober breath. So I did not. And I, she could tell, like, she, even at a young age, she could tell if I had one drink, she knew I was drinking. So I didn't want her to see what a mess I was and how bad things were and how bad I looked. So I stayed away. And then I did a lot of treatment that took me to Austin for six months. So I didn't get to see her much then. So for almost a year, I wasn't really around much. And then when I came back and, you know, went to Maggie's three times, kept falling off and falling off. Things would start to build up again and get better, but she still never fully trusted me. I could tell there was always this little bit of like, when are you going to do it again? Like she always, if I would go to the store, she wanted to go with me. Um, like she never wanted me to leave. I'm like, where are you going? You know, what are you going to be doing? And so the third time I got out of Maggie's, she would come over and, you know, cause she was still mostly staying with her dad at the time. She would come over and the first few times she was supposed to stay the night. And when it would be time to go to bed, she'd start crying and say, I want to go back to my dad's. I don't want to stay here. And it killed me. But of course I couldn't let her see that. So I would just take her back to her dad's and then come home and just ball. And I knew it was because she didn't trust me. My thing would be a lot like to drink while she, when she'd fall asleep. So I knew she was afraid to fall asleep because she was afraid she'd wake up and I'd be drunk. So this went on for a while. And even then she was kind of short with me and just, you could tell she just didn't trust me and she just wasn't comfortable. And slowly things started to change to where like she wanted to be with me more and she would talk to me about everything. And we just got closer and closer. Like we used to be before all of this. 
And now she doesn't want to go to her dad's. She usually cries when I make her go to her dad's because she wants to stay with me. And she'll tell me, you know, she doesn't, now that it's been, you know, a year and almost nine months, she doesn't say it as much, but she would tell me all the time how proud she is of me and like how she loves. She told me a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, she said, you know, mom, you're so lucky you're an alcoholic. And I was like, okay, why? And she said, because you have all these friends now, you don't have to be lonely anymore. She's right though. Cause I, you know, I was an isolation drinker. I didn't talk to anybody like a week or so ago, we were talking, something came up about my drinking and my uh, alcoholism. And I said, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. I said, do you ever, cause she used to always worry. Like, when are you going to drink again? How long is it going to take? And she would tell me, I just don't know how long you're going to stay sober this time. I don't know how long it's going to be before you drink again. And so I asked her, I said, do you ever worry about me drinking anymore? And she's like, no, not anymore. Now, when you're about seven months sober, I still worried about it, but now I don't worry about it anymore. Like, okay. And that makes me feel really good. Cause I can tell she trusts me and she's not trying to like look in my eyes and see, cause she would do the same thing. My dad does try to look and like, okay, are your eyes glazed over? Are they, you know, drooping to tell if I've been drinking. And she talks to me about everything. We, you know, discuss everything. She's, we're just very, very close now. And I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. I'm sure that gives a lot of moms hope who are listening. Uh, did you make amends to her? I did, but in a different way. Um, I talked to my sponsor about it. And in the past, when I had tried to make amends to her, she does not like to talk about that at all. And so she said, you know, I don't want you, first of all, she's heard the, the whole, I'm, you know, I'm better now. I'm not going to drink anymore and whatever story so many times that it means nothing to her. And she said, I want you to make a living amends to her. I want you to and this is what it's going to look like. Things like, you know, we had a list of things that I had to do with her. And, you know, there was certain times that I had to spend with her and I had to be consistent. And when I say I'm going to show up, I have to show up. Like there's no, I can't like, you know, back out of anything. So it's more of how I am as a mother, how I show up as a mother to her on a daily basis or as my men's to her. Awesome. So good. And I know y'all are really, really close today. Well, one of, um, the favorite, one of the favorite topics uh, that women like to hear about is sponsorship. Do you mind talking about sponsorship? I would love to. Uh, it's funny because when I did my four step, my fears, sponsorship was all over my fears. I was like, I'm scared of being a sponsor. I'm scared. I won't find sponsors. I'm scared. I will find sponsors. I'm scared that I won't know what to say or what to do, or I won't have time. There were so many fears related to sponsorship and the great thing about this program is you have a sponsor and, you know, I sponsor like my sponsor sponsors, but I also can go to her. And if I'm talking to a sponsee and they ask me something that I don't have an answer to, or I'm not really sure how to handle, I can say, you know what, let me, let me check with my sponsor and see what she thinks. So I have like, I phone a friend, I get someone, I have someone that's there on call to help me, but it's never me anyway. It's always God because, you know, before I work with a sponsor, before we do any steps, I always pray for God to give me his words, what he wants me to say, what that woman needs to hear. And every time I'm meeting with a sponsor and I say something, I'm like, that did not come from me. I don't know where that came from, but that was not from me. And I, well, I know where it came from. It came from God. But, it, you know, you, you have all the answers right here. It's, it really is, you know, an instruction guide on how to work these steps and what to do. And 
you know, if there's anything again, that you, that you can't find in these first 164 pages, you have a sponsor who also has a sponsor, because I guarantee you, I've called my sponsor before. And she said, well, let me ask my sponsor. So, you know, we have, we have a lineage here for a reason and it's the most fulfilling part of my life. Like I love sponsoring. I love it. Now, um, how did you choose your sponsor? Because we have some women who come in here who are like totally new and have never had a sponsor before. And they're so worried about getting the right sponsor and whatnot. How did, like, how did you choose your first sponsor? My first sponsor at Maggie's, I, you know, I went, when I first got to Maggie's, I was like, okay, well, she needs to be my age and she needs to have one kid and she needs to be just like me. And that's so not what it really turned out to be. What I actually finally after finding out that there was no one exactly like me that I was going to sponsor me. All I had to have was someone who's had a spiritual experience by working these steps that has a sponsor and is connected to her higher power. And once I found that person, which if you go to Maggie's, there's a lot of them, you know, it was, she, all she had to do was take my hand and put my hand, you know, in God's hand. And I didn't need someone that looked like me, talked like me, acted like me or anything like I thought I did. And when they would say, go find someone that has what you want. I'm like, okay, well, I want a big house and I want this and I want a good job. And that's not what they mean. (laughs) They mean someone that's happy, joyous and free that has a spiritual connection to their higher power. That's all there is to it. So what is it like? How can you tell if a woman is connected to her higher power? Um, From words and actions. Uh, if you, if, you know, it's hard, it's hard when you're, I know at Maggie's like to really know someone, but I know when I picked my first sponsor, watching her, she chaired a meeting and watching how she spoke about her life and like just being truly happy. And she shared with some of the things that she had gone through recently and still was happy and able to stay sober. And she explained how she worked these steps and, you know, what her life looked like now, you know, I could feel her spiritual connection. Awesome. What was your biggest fear about sponsoring? So I thought I was under some delusion that I had some kind of power that was going to make a woman go drink. And so I was pretty sure that I was going to lead somebody back out. Like I was going to say the wrong thing and they were going to go drink again. And so my biggest fear was having a sponsor relapse. That was my biggest fear. Has that happened? Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, And so what happened whenever you had that fear come to life? Uh, the first time, you know, I did call my sponsor cause I was a little bit like, uh, what did I do wrong? And once I, I finally learned that I have no power, I can't keep myself sober. I have no power to keep myself sober. How am I going to keep someone else sober? Once I really, really figured that out, I was okay with it. I do get sad when women go back out because I want them to be happy and I want them to have, you know, the same feelings that I have this joyous happiness that I have and, and to be free. So I do get, you know, I feel, I feel sad for them, but I'm always here and available whenever, if they ever want to come back, I'm just a phone call away. And I, you know, I had one recently relapse and come, come back and call me and say, will you still sponsor me? I was like, yes, absolutely. I would love to, like, I'm not going anywhere. I will be right here as soon as you're ready. Every single time. Oh, that's good. And I'm sure you've been on the other end. Yes. My first sponsor, when I got at Maggie's, uh, I had her all three times for Maggie's. I recently changed sponsors in like January or February, but she was with me through all three of my relapses through, through Maggie's. And she, every time I'd call her and be like, will you still sponsor me? And 
every time she would write back. So, so good. Uh, what's different this time? I'm sure you get that question a lot. I get that question a lot. So uh, the third time, for sure, the, the first thing that was different was my step one experience. The third time I knew in my head that I was an alcoholic. I knew that I definitely understood that I had the body of an alcoholic, but I still had this thought that I could control my brain, that I could just use some willpower and just not drink anymore. Like, okay, I've gotten alcohol out of my body. The craving, the physical craving is gone. I just need to use my willpower and stay stopped. And the mental obsession just really, like, I consider myself intelligent. I accomplish goals I want to accomplish. I have, you know, a good willpower. I should be able to stop drinking, you know, like, and I heard at a meeting last night, my mom said, I can do anything I want to do. So I want to stop drinking. So I'm going to stop drinking. Well, that was kind of my head. Like I can do anything I want to do. I'm going to stop, stay stop. But this time, the third time, I really knew that I was never going to stay stop, that I had no choice. My brain was always going to reroute me to alcohol every single time. And then as far as, you know, my sponsor said, um, when I would get out of Maggie's, I would focus on my career and my daughter. Those were the two things like my recovery would come somewhere around here my career and my daughter would come up here. And I was like, yeah, I will do this recovery thing, but I've got to get my career back and I've got to get my daughter back. And that's just that. And so every time I would get out of Maggie's, I would focus on that. And the third time my sponsor was like, okay, that's not working. We have to do something different. You have to put this first and God will take care of these other things. And so she said, you can't go get a job in your career field. You have to just go get a job. So I did, I went and delivered pizzas and worked in a breakfast restaurant until God said, okay, you can work in your career field again. And with my daughter, I didn't push anything. I, you know, would call her and I would ask her, you know, just let me know when she would want to come over and I would hang out with her on her terms, but I didn't push anything with her like I would previous terms. And once, you know, the book tells us once you straighten out mentally and physically, the rest of the stuff, the material stuff follows, including your children, your job, all of these things, they will follow, but you have to do God's work and put him first and put this first and he will take care of the rest. And sure enough, he has, you know, like I've been at my dad's for the last two years and I'm finally moving out next month and I'm finally going to be a grown up at 43 again. I'm pretty excited. And that was like the last piece of what I had lost in my drinking was my you know, my independence from living alone. So my daughter and I are getting our own place next month and just everything, it, you know, and it didn't happen on my terms. It didn't happen on the time frame that I had in my head that I wanted God to do it. But once I made that decision to turn everything over to him, that also meant I had to follow his timeline. And you know what? His timeline has been pretty perfect every time it's worked out the way it's supposed to. And then of course, living in 10, 11 and 12, you know, I do things, I heard in Maggie's my third time there that this is not a feelings program. This is a program of action. And there's a lot of things I don't feel like doing. Like I overnight every Saturday night, Would I like to have Saturdays to do like what I want to do, go on dates or whatever. Sometimes. Yeah, I would sometimes, but guess what? It's not about what I feel. It's about what I put into action. So I show up every Saturday. I was not a good commitment person. I would make commitments and break them constantly. And so to be able, like, I never cancel on my overnights. I'm always there Saturday nights. I never back out of anything that I say I'm going to do now. I show up when I say I'm going to show up. And that's completely different than who I was even before the drinking. So, you know, staying in the solution, staying in 10, 11 and 12, calling my sponsor and talking about things that I don't want to talk about because 
you know, there's some things I just don't want to, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to relive it, but that's what I do. Yes. And I'm sure it, I mean, it's so hard to really like, be like, okay, like I'm going to go deliver pizzas and like leave my daughter alone and not exert myself more in this situation. Right. Like that's hard to do whenever that's all we've ever done. So you have to really get to a place of like willingness and surrender to be able to take that kind of direction. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of showed just that alone showed the difference between you this time. Right. Definitely. Cause I was not that willing before. Yeah. But we think we are. I'll I'll do everything, but (laughs) But, yes, yes, yes. Love it. What are your favorite promises in the big book? I always thought the 10 step promises were my favorite because I love the fact that, you know, I'm going to be free from this like crazy delusion and mental obsession and be able to react like a sane person. But honestly, I really think that my favorite favorite are the ninth step promises because like I said, before my alcoholism, I was such an unhappy, miserable person. And when I came to Maggie's and when I started this whole journey, I had so much regret, so much shame, so much guilt. And I really thought there was nothing in the world that's going to remove the shame that I feel. And most of it, if not all of it was really surrounding my daughter. Like I just felt like such a horrible person for what I put my daughter through and so much shame. And especially since, you know, my dad had done the same thing. It's not like like I didn't know what it felt like. I was doing the exact same things that I went through. And so, you know, when it tells us we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, like I said, I'd never been happy before. I'd always had a chip on my shoulder. Everything was, you know, everything and everybody was out to get me and life was just so unfair and everybody's talking about me and everybody's like, thinking bad things about me, guess what? I'm not that important. And that is another great thing about this is that I really honestly was so concerned about what you thought about me and what you were saying about me and all these things. And I didn't realize how selfish that was and how much I was trying to control the show and control what other people thought and did. I don't care anymore. I don't care what other people think about me. And I don't care what they're saying about me because you know what, me and God, we're good. And what you think about me is none of my business. And that is the most freeing thing that I have felt because I was so concerned about that. And then, you know, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Those two things were so huge for me because like I said, self-pity was like my jam, but I don't regret my past. I mean, of course, do I wish I would have done things a little differently? Yeah. I mean, I wish I wouldn't have put my daughter through all the things I put her through, but everything that I've been through was part of, it's part of my story. And that's what it's like my biggest asset today in this program is what helps me help another woman because I can truly relate to where she is or where she's been. And she can see that I was just as bad, if not worse than her. And we have that connection that we can build on and she can see, okay, well, if she was this bad and things were this horrible and now she's actually happy and enjoying her life, then maybe I can have that too. So definitely the not set promises, all that to say the not set promises. <laughs> no, I love that so much. Do you mind reading the whole, the whole, yeah, I'd love to. And fear them. I would love to. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. 
No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always material materialize if we work for them. Beautiful. You know, when I first, I, well, not first came into the rooms, but this time when I came into the rooms, the thing that kept me or made me come back was seeing the promises on the wall because I had never seen those. The only thing I knew was that we came here to stay sober. I didn't know that like I could experience all of that, you know, and that was appealing to me. And so that's what made me want to keep going with this program. If I could even get half of that stuff, you know, I'd be okay. Uh, And so it's just, it's so cool. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm like listening to you and watching you. And it's just so obvious that uh, there's that line in the book that says her deportment will shout that this is a woman with the real answer, something like that. Uh, and like, that's what I'm thinking whenever I'm, I'm watching you. And it's like really, really cool to see like how like connected you are and how, you know, full of solution you are. And it's just really amazing. So, but since we are getting to the top of the hour, I would, uh, like you to let us know two things. First, the biggest gift that recovery has given you. And then if you could leave us with one takeaway, whether it be the women on the call now or the listeners, a woman getting sober, staying sober, anything, what would that, like, if you could say one thing that you can't leave without us hearing, like, what would that one thing be? Okay. So the biggest thing that recovery has given me is probably, I did not like myself. I didn't care for me at all. I did not like who I was as a person. I did not want to be me. And I love myself now. I love who I am and I love this gift that God's given me. And um, I feel like I'm helping other women. And I, before I never really felt like I had anything to offer other people. Like, you know, yeah, I'm a mom and, you know, I have a career and all that, but I didn't have a real, like a purpose. I didn't have anything to offer. And this has given me so much to give to other women. And I like me. I truly like who I am as a person. And I could never say that even before my alcoholism, I didn't like me. And then one takeaway, another thing that I heard my third time in Maggie's that really resonated with me is in order to keep this gift, you must give it away. And no matter how scared you are of sponsoring, it is the most magical thing. The the one time that I can truly, truly feel God, I have the most spiritual experience when I'm working with another woman. And I know you've probably heard Lisa say this in her meetings. Um, When you see that light come back on in a woman's eyes, it's an experience you won't want to miss. And it truly is the best experience. Like, I, you know, I put this much effort into my recovery compared to what I put into my drinking. 
And I put like every bit of, and I, and I thought, well, I don't have time for this recovery business, but I put everything, all my time, energy, everything into my drinking. And I put just like a third or a fourth of that into this. And I'm actually happy and I'm joyous and I'm free and not miserable. And, you know, ugh. so it's, it's amazing. It's just, you know, it's work, but it's so worth it. The reward you get from the work is like immeasurable. It's just, so just don't give up. Keep, you know, I, I heard in treatment one time in another treatment center, um, don't quit before the miracle happens. And I was like, what miracle? Like, what are they talking about? Where's this miracle? And I get the miracle now. It is, it's the life that I have today. That's the miracle. Like me not drinking, that's also a miracle, but that's just, that's just a great side effect of this program. Like I am happy and I don't have to drink. Wonderful. I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you for being here. That was so wonderful. I can't wait until we can release it. So all you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you, Carrie, for being with us. Thank you. I'll see you all later. This has been a re-release from the Magdalene House podcast for our From the Vault series. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new release from one of our four series. To learn more about the Magdalene House and the services we offer, visit magdalenehouse.org or follow us on your favorite social media channels.